Welcome back to another edition of Clover and Nets. My name is Eli Lerman. And this is Luke. And here's the latest in NBA news. The Nuggets take a 2-0 lead in the Western Conference Finals over the Lakers. The Heat also take a 2-0 lead over the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. James Harden, Houston rumors continue to emerge. Nick Nurse is meeting with the Bucks this upcoming week. Our all-NBA teams were announced, first team, second team, and third team. And then we start our newest series on the podcast, which is player rankings, starting with the top 10 centers in the NBA. Luke, obviously we're going to start with some game recaps. Nuggets-Lakers game two, what did you see? Nuggets-Lakers game two. Definitely exciting series. I I love the series. I'm sure you feel the same way. But it's getting to the point now where it's a little bit concerning now. LA down two games to nothing. Now you like to see. So in the first quarter, it was very, a very much of a back and forth ping pong type of game, you know, and the score kind of reflected that. It was 27-27 at the end of the first. Uh, I believe it was during the end of the first and then into the, the second quarter. By the halftime, we saw a huge explosion by Rui Hachimura, not in the starting lineup coming off the bench. Um, it was an absolute spark plug. He had 17 points, shooting 7 for 7, perfect from the field, in just 14 minutes played in the first half. Um, and at halftime, he was interviewed, and he kind of stirred the pot. He said he attacked the basket because the Nuggets don't have a rim protector. That was a bold, that was a bold statement to make at halftime. Second half comes around. It's another back and forth third quarter. Uh, but Denver ended it really well. And they gained the momentum at the end during the play where there was a missed shot and Nikola Jokic got a tip in. And AD, AD went for a block and they called it a goal 10. And it was after like a probably well over a minute review time, they ruled in favor of Denver. And Denver cruised into the fourth with momentum. Come to the fourth quarter... LA was just completely losing their control in the fourth. We saw AD and LeBron both taking ill-advised shots. A lot of threes coming from players who have not been shooting well from three at all so far in the playoffs. And ultimately, that kind of that kind of just halted them from being able to to come back when they were just not keeping up with with Denver scoring. Uh, LeBron got a clutch deal on the inbound pass, 32 seconds left in the game. And ruined that possession right after by by going up with the layup there, getting contested very well by Aaron Gordon, missing the shot, and Denver secured the rebound. After that happened, that was kind of the nail in the coffin, in my opinion. Once that shot didn't go in, it, you just kind of tell that the hero ball mentality took over. Extremely sloppy. Denver took care of business, and that was the game. Yeah, I agree. I think like the three main reasons that the Lakers lost the game is obviously AD's performance wasn't there. Uh, you know, shot twenty six percent from the field. Uh, you know, the Lakers needed offense, and Davis failed to show up big time. Uh, he missed a key three uh, late in the corner, uh, and it kind of gave the Nuggets the victory. Uh, you know, if Davis even had twenty five on forty percent shooting, they most likely would have won the game. Uh, the second thing you mentioned it as well, bad shot choices, but specifically from LeBron. Uh, you know, he is, he's missed 19 consecutive three-pointers in the fourth quarter, dating back to game two of the opening round of the playoffs. And it's the longest deep shooting slump by any player over the last 25 postseasons. Game two marked the first time since a six-day span in May of 2018 that James failed to hit a three-pointer in consecutive playoff games. The four-time former MVP is connecting on just 23.3% of his three-point shots in the playoffs. Uh, his worst postseason three-point percentage is 22.7, so he is right there in terms of missing shots. 
the third reason is uh, I think that Darvin Ham was had a absolutely coaching disaster class. I mean, he sucked la- uh, last night or two nights ago. Uh, you know, he got away from the three guard lineup to start the game and it was working and it was they were playing well. And then he just couldn't resist himself in the third quarter and the Nuggets started to strike and the Lakers couldn't stop him. Uh, you know, he played Jared Vanderbilt 15 minutes, which is criminal. Uh, you know, his lack of offense makes spacing a little more difficult. But when Jamal Murray can just go off uh, in the fourth quarter, it might be time to put your defensive specialist on him. Uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder also playing 30 minutes in this game was pretty boneheaded, I feel like. Uh, he wasn't able to do anything on offense. Uh, and, you know, he didn't really do much on defense either. Jamal Murray had 35 or 37. Uh, and then, you know, the second the th- second thing to talk about is, you know, is D'Angelo Russell still viable in this series as a starter? Uh, I don't know. Uh, he hasn't been hitting his shots. He doesn't provide much on defense. And if he's not hitting his shots and he's not playing defense, then what does he provide? Uh, so I think that they should probably move him off the bench. And, you know, at this point, the Lakers might only have six solid rotation guys, which doesn't work um you know for the nuggets obviously jamal murray 37 and 5 Jokic 23 17 and 12 uh and then some bench production for bruce brown with 12 points off the bench and we know bruce brown he plays defense right oh yeah uh, uh you know and the other thing again is they won the rebound battle they won by nine boards 49 to 40 uh if the lakers want to win games they're gonna, they might not have to win the rebound battle, but it's gonna have to be closer. And the other thing is LeBron James has to make shots in the fourth quarter. He has to. And he can't be afraid to just drive to the basket when it's needed, right? I mean, it feels like whenever he starts the game, when he's driving, he's unstoppable. That doesn't just go away. The shots just don't disappear for him. It's him making a conscious effort and choice to not drive to the basket and get layups. I don't understand it. He's the fastest, strongest guy on the court at all times. I don't understand what the deal is with that. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, Lakers go down 2-0, back to Crypto Arena. I think they have a legitimate chance to tie it up 2-0. Both games have been very good, close games. Um, But, you know, AD has to have 20-plus on better shooting. And LeBron has to be able to make shots down the stretch. I think that's I think that's the difference. And obviously, mm-hmm. also, shout out to Rui Hachimura for having two yeah. incredible games off the bench. You mentioned him. I just wanted to mention his name again. Uh, you know, 20, 21 off the bench. Uh, you know, good for him because he had kind of fallen out of the rotation. And there he's, uh, he's proving why he should be back in the rotation. And again, I think when he played like his total six minutes on the Jokic this game, I think the Jokic went like 0 for 2 and had two, two, two turnovers. Uh, defensively so you know the young uh the young athleticism might be bothering him a little bit but yeah all right uh miami unfortunately comes into boston takes a 2-0 lead on the celtics uh you know i don't think anybody necessarily expected it but i don't think that it should be a surprise to many people that miami won both games they are on fire right now uh you know jimmy butler uh 27 8 and 6 including four or five late buckets to close out the game. Uh, Caleb Martin with 25 points off the bench. 
you know, he's another guy that I believe I mentioned along with kind of the Gabe Vincent conversation where they play completely average against every other team. Uh, they just play their role. And then against the Celtics, they love to play really well. Uh, you know, I mean, Gabe Vincent didn't really score the ball a lot, but he hit the clutchest shot of the game. They were up three, needed a bucket to close it out, and he pushes off a Tatum and hits a shot, right? He he showed up when it mattered the most. Uh, Duncan Robinson with 15 off the bench. Bam with a ridiculous stat line, 22 points, 17 rebounds, and 9 assists. Uh, you know, the, what did you see from Miami in this in this game? I saw an absolute... An absolutely well-played game by Miami down the stretch, and specifically in the fourth quarter. Uh, I know this is kind of an obvious statement that a lot of people would would agree with, but a very a very popular theme I feel like throughout the playoffs this year and just playoffs in general is that fourth quarter means so much. It really comes down to who closes it better, and Miami closed it down better. However, before I before I get critical of Boston, I I will say this. Very similar to Rui Hachimura that we are just talking about being kind of knocked out of rotation. We finally saw Grant Williams get some time. And immediately we saw his impact, his defensive impact that he has on the floor for the Celtics. It was great. I, I love seeing that. First quarter, Boston had a 19-2 run against Miami in the first quarter. 19-2. That's that's crazy. Especially even though, you know, the, the physicality, like the physical matchups aren't, aren't ideal uh, in favor of Miami. They obviously put an emphasis on defense, so to have that sort of stretch against a team like that is absurd. But then, Miami responds right back and drops the 16-2 run on them almost immediately right after that. Um, Tatum finally had a, a quarter where I was like, this is the Tatum that they need. This is the Tatum that everyone, every Celtics fan and NBA fan loves to watch. Had a 15-point third quarter. I believe that was his best quarter that he's had uh, in the series so far. However, Caleb Martin keeps it close, like you said, had a great game against the Celtics. Gets 20 points by the end of the third quarter. Uh, that's Those are points that, although he's a great rotational piece, like you said, it's not really something you expect, but they needed it last night to kind of keep them afloat. Now, when I was trying to think about the things that kind of set the two teams apart from winning and losing... Yet again, like I said before, how important it is about that fourth quarter, just closing it out. Celtics had their worst offensive quarter in the fourth, and Miami had their best. Miami outscored them 36-22. to 22. Miami's bench scored 42 points on a night where Lowry came off the bench and got zero points. And I think more times than not, Lowry would probably be one of the best options off the bench to score. When he gets zero and the bench still gets 42, that's not good. Al Horford played nearly 40-30 minutes, uh, played nearly 30 minutes, sorry. And only got two points. Miami controlled the glass more times than not throughout the game. And Bam out-rebounded Robert Williams 17-3. to And obviously that's not like a, you know, it's not like it's always those two. But just in total, just total stat collections to comparison to 17-3 in favor of Bam. And Miami, like I said, just continues to close the games out better than their opponent. They did it against the Knicks and they're doing it now against uh, Boston. And... That just set up Boston for failure again here. Now yeah. they're down 0-2 yeah. going to Miami. Yeah. No, you're completely right. Uh, you know, I, there's nothing really to talk about uh, from the Miami side. I think that they are playing well, and, you know, they're closing out the games. Uh, I'm not going to really name any stats, like specifically stats, during this little talk about the Celtics. But as a Celtics fan, I feel like there's some stuff that I need to say. And maybe it's just me getting it out, so I'm not frustrated. And apologies if there are some words that fly out that shouldn't. 
But, uh, yeah. So, the first thing is uh, just talking about Jalen Brown here. Um, it's, it's hard for me to understand why he had such a bad game. Uh, I don't know if it's the elbow he roughed up, but regardless, he submitted one of his worst playoff performances this year. He was 7 for 23 from the field, 1 for 7 from deep with 16 points and 2 turnovers. He was a minus 24 when he was on the floor for the Celtics. Uh, I, you know, I don't think that we can expect a 7 for 23 game from Jalen Brown, but if the Celtics want to win, which they could have won even without him, he's going to need to shoot better than that, and he's going to need to affect the the game on one or one one end of the floor last night he didn't get a block he didn't get steals i didn't i didn't notice him on the defensive end he's struggling offensively you'd think he'd kick it into high gear to try and get himself going but he didn't do that he didn't do anything there was nothing defensively that i was like oh well there's jalen brown making a play i didn't see any of that which you usually see when guys are you know playing bad offensively particularly from jason Tatum and jalen brown the one thing you can never say about Jason Tatum is that he's not affecting the game. He might not be shooting the ball well, but he's defending, he's rebounding, and he's facilitating. He's always filling up the stat sheet no matter what. Uh, the second thing, Joe Mazzulla, what the hell was he doing last night? They went away from Robert Williams and Derek White down the stretch. Uh, you know, White defended very well. He had one magnificent block on Jimmy Butler. He knocked down, uh, you know, three of his five three-point attempts, and they were tearing apart that Miami zone. They had Jason Tatum be the ball handler, and Robert Williams set a high ball screen, and it was pass to Williams, pass out to the corner, or pass to a wing, and right back to Williams down low. I think Rob Will had an and one on Bam and a little hook shot, and then Grant Williams got a wide open three, Dirk White hit a few threes. Uh, you know, the Heat never solved the problem with the pick and roll in either man-to-man -man or zone. And the Celtics went away from it. And that's coaching. That's him telling his guys, this is what we have to continue to do. Uh, and then for the second consecutive game, Jason Tatum didn't shoot a field goal in the fourth quarter. I don't understand what they are doing and what he is doing. Tatum had his hands in everything good going on for the Celtics on Friday. Whenever he was in the game, it was a run. He got to the rim repeatedly in the early going. And the Heat started double teaming him. And, you know, the Celtics are very happy when Jason Tatum starts to double-team him because they have four other guys, when Rob Williams is out of the game, who can shoot the three, regardless of Al Horford's struggle. I'm okay with him shooting wide-open threes. We want him to be shooting those. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned it. He had 15 points in the third quarter, mostly out of the pick-and-roll with Robert Williams. That was one of his best quarters in the playoffs. Um, you know, we talked about it as the Joel Embiid treatment. But uh, at a certain point... Tatum is going to have to be a really selfish guy, which is give me the damn ball. I'm going to score the ball or I'm going to go try to score or create for my teammates. Right. Mm -hmm. Both times he's had, you know, near turnovers or turnovers in games one and two. And it's so hard to find that rhythm when you don't touch the ball. Right. We talked about it in our last episode about the fourth quarter turnovers, you know, it's frustrating to see the turnovers and you have to blame him, but also that's on his coach and his teammates for not getting him the ball when they know they need to, because it is nearly impossible to find your rhythm after not touching the ball for 10 minutes. Same thing here. He didn't touch the ball for about six minutes. Uh, he didn't shoot. He got some free throws up, but that's about it. 
uh, it's not going to work. Um, you know, and then the second, the last thing, uh, you know, obviously I'm a Celtics fan. I'm a little biased. You know, the media is going to go crazy. Luke, you know, you're a reasonable guy. I'm sure you feel the same way, but the Boston Celtics are not nearly finished in this series. They are not. They, f- they found stuff that works consistently on the offensive end with Jason Tatum and Robert Williams pick and rolls against zone and, and man, uh, and you know, Jalen Brown will bounce back. He's not going to shoot 7 for 23 every game. Most likely not for another game this series. He's probably not going to have a game that bad. Um, You know, and also, the Celtics love to play well when they have to play well, right? And these next two games, they have to play well. Uh, Losing both games hurts a lot. And it puts the Celtics at a breaking point, right? Their backs up are up against the wall. But we've seen time and time again over the last three seasons that when their backs are up against the wall, they play their best basketball because they want to win and they need to win. They can still achieve everything they wanted to achieve this season, which is a championship, but their margin for error in this series is completely gone. It is completely gone. They have no room for mistakes or playing lazy. You know, in these games, the Heat will go on their runs. It's a game of runs, but they have Mm -hmm. to get past that. They have to figure out a way to close out the games. Every game, they've had a chance to close out the games with leads, and they failed. Uh, they did it against the Sixers in games one and uh, uh, one. I forget. Anyways, they did it against the Sixers multiple times. They did it against the Bucks last year multiple times. Uh, they did it against the Heat last year multiple times. They'll do it again this year. I'm so confident that they're going to win these next two games. But they have to want it, and they can't play lackadaisical at all. Uh, do, I mean, you know, what what do you think about that, that the Celtics aren't finished? Well, they're down 2-0. It's not, it's not the complete end of the world. But like you said, the margin for error is definitely, definitely, not, there's, not, there's not a lot of room left. I mean, just there's not. It's just mathematically, there isn't. Um, I'll say this, though. I, I am definitely, although I'm... I'm in favor of Miami right now because as as you know I'm a huge Jimmy Butler fan. I am just as an NBA fan disappointed in the in Boston's inability to close out their game so far in this series because you know how and you especially know how capable they are of of winning and doing the right things. So seeing seeing how how they're coming up short is is disappointing because you know you know what they're capable of and if they're able to if they're able to clean that up then 100% they can win four of the next five games 100%. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. You know, I have to I have to remain optimistic in this series because also I'll just mention it real quick. I know I said I wasn't going to do a lot of stats, but uh, again, Celtics shot horribly from three, uh, you know, which they, every team has their inconsistencies and the Celtics haven't shot amazing from three in general. These playoffs uh, outside of, you know, a few games. Like the gate, like game seven particularly, but again, they shot 28% from three and didn't get up even their season average on attempts again. Um, that's another thing that they have to look at. All right, next up is the all NBA first and second teams. Uh, first team is Luka Doncic, Shea Alexander, uh, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. And Luke, you got the second team. Second team, we got the guards, Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell. 
the forwards are Jimmy Butler and Jalen Brown, and at center is Nicole Jokic. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking up and down this list, it makes sense. I think that, you know, second team, uh, outside of team record, I think that Curry and Dame could have been interchangeable. But, you know, I don't think there's anybody who's really, like, particularly missing. I think, you know, obviously it's regular season awards. You have to remember that it's not playoff performance-based. If it was playoff performance, obviously Jimmy Butler would slide in. Uh, You know, Jokic would be in as well. You know, it's it's different. Uh, You know, people forget about the MVP being just a regular season award. Um, You know, for the first team... Uh, you know, Luca. Obviously, the Mavs sucked, but uh, you know, Luca's obviously an amazing individual player. I don't think that he's a player that he's gonna ever gonna win a ring because of his play style. I think it's too individualistic. Uh, you know, Shea absolutely deserves that first team. He had an unbelievable year playing good defense, leading the youngest roster in the league to a playing spot, and they actually probably could have made it in, but they ran into the uh, the wrong team. Right, a very good. I believe they played the Lakers. Um, you know, and then, you know, obviously Giannis makes sense, uh, you know, third in MVP voting. He was, honestly, he was my pick for the MVP, but, uh, I might just be a little biased. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Joel Embiid, the MVP at, uh, center. So I feel like, I feel like those picks make sense. I just, I, you know, there's nobody there who I'd replace necessarily. Uh, you know, people will talk whatever they want to talk about, uh, you know, Luca and Tatum being inconsistent, but... You know, if they're that inconsistent, then why do they average the numbers they average? So, you know, that's how I feel about it. But yeah. Um, I don't I don't feel the same way um, that you do. Like, I'll say this. I don't look at these lists and I don't have an issue. It's not like, you know, I'm not. not clearly, there's respect on all these players' names. Um, however, personally, when it comes down to the, the guards, I personally will take I will take donovan mitchell over shea that's just that's just how i am i'm a, just a big fan of donovan's game uh i without even looking i'm sure their stats are extremely comparable and i just feel that you know based on how cleveland played and donovan's role i just feel like he just had a better overall season like i said i'm that's no that's no um shame on shay's end they both played great seasons tatum Giannis, and bead that front court i mean they were all mvp candidates like top five all year so you can't you can't really disagree with that uh, I don't know. Not for nothing. I'll always be Jokic over Embiid when I look back at this season. I just I just think you can't understate how great Jokic was. And yeah, I mean, you do have to eliminate the, the playoffs for a regular season award like that. Um, that might be playing into it right now, but my head where I kind of put Jokic over Embiid. But even still, Jokic had an amazing uh, regular season, and so did Embiid. So yet again, that's not like a comparison where I sit there and say, oh... That's a that's disrespect to Jokic. It's fine. That's fine. They're interchangeable. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually, I'm gonna push your buttons here a little, Luke. Uh, the Donovan Mitchell Shea uh, comparison. I'm gonna push your buttons a little. So, looking at Donovan Mitchell stats, he averaged 28 points, four rebounds, four and a half assists on 48% from the field and 38 from three. Uh, and he also shot 86 from the final line. Obviously, the Cavs went 51 to 31. Uh, mm-hmm. Finished fourth in the Eastern Conference. That sounds right. I think yeah, so. I think Knicks were five. Yeah, finished fourth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and then you look at Shea's stats. He's averaging 31 point, 31 and a half points a game, uh, 4.8 rebounds, so almost five, and then five and a half assists on 51 percent from the field, 34 from the three, and 
90% from the foul line with a block a game and one and a half steals a game. Uh, obviously, Donovan Mitchell also averaged one and a half steals a game, but he doesn't block shots. And the other right. thing, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, kind of both of them, um, they're nicknamed Mr. Blowby, right? That's Those are their nicknames, Mr. Blowby. Uh, they don't play defense whatsoever. And Shea does. And the other thing to consider is obviously, you know, the Cavs were the better team, but they also had the significantly better roster. And they had a disappointing loss to the Knicks in the playoffs. Now, I'm not, I know That's it's, true. I know it's not the regular season. I know it's a, or I know it's not playoff. It's not a playoff award. It's a regular season award to make an All NBA team. But um, you know, the main differential there is Shea plays defense, and I think that the rosters comparable. I think that Shea season was much more successful than the Cavs, Cavs season was because I think a lot of people had the Cavs being the either number two or number one seed after this trade. Um, and they, you know, they finished fourth and were a first round exit to the Knicks. And I think that the Cavs probably should have swept the Knicks if I'm being honest with you. Uh, you know, whatever people think about that. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think that Shea is definitely the better player. I think he deserves the first team spot over him. Uh, you, I, you know, feel, feel free to shoot right back at me if you want to. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna say this because you're. You're definitely right, though, because the expectations and the difference in the talent on the rosters. There's definitely a, a huge gap between what Shea had around him and what Donovan had him. No, no, no disagreement there. However, and it's it's it is unfair. It is unfair to do this, but I, I still just and for a few reasons. I'm looking at the playoffs because I've seen. I've just. I've seen Donovan kind of take on that number one role and do do fairly well on it though they came up short this year so maybe not as much this year but just historically speaking we haven't really been able to see that yet from shay i just there's no disagreement either on on the defensive end shay easily clears donovan mitchell defensively not, not having a question it's just that when i'm thinking about when i'm building a roster and maybe that's where i'm kind of interpreting this list different when i'm when i want to make a team i if i'm picking a shooting guard right now between i had to pick between shane and donovan mitchell I just I'm taking the skill set of Donovan Mitchell over the skill set of Shea. That, that that's just personally speaking. Yeah, I uh, you know, yeah, I see I see what you're saying. Um, I'm also you know I'm not a fan of I was never really a fan of that Utah team with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. So mm. I guess that's kind of uh, kind of maybe a little point of bias for me with Donovan Mitchell. He's also you know on the Cavs. Eastern Conference, don't really like them. Uh, but and, and also, the Celtics, for whatever reason, just struggled against the Cavs. I think they went 3-1 against the Cavs this year. But, uh, mm. yeah, so, you know, looking at the second team, um, it's it's tough because, you know, Steph and Dame, that's always kind of been an argument, right? Who is the best, just, like, point guard in the league? Uh, whatever the arguments are. Uh, looking at stats, 29.5 for Steph, six, and a, 6 rebounds, and then 6 assists on 49% of the field. 42 from 3, which is just ballistic. That is ridiculous. Dame, 32 points a game, f- almost 5 assists, or almost 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 46 from the field, so 3 less from the field, and then 37 from 3, so, you know, not as good of a 3-point shooter as Steph, not as good of a shooter in general, but nobody is. Uh, you know... Steph is probably more serviceable on defense. Um, and then obviously team records have to go into it. So that's a tough one. Do you think Steph deserved it or do you think uh, Dame deserved it? I'm going to give it to Steph. 
I'm, I know that's like a safe pick. I'm just going to give it to Steph. I just think he, he makes sense. He's just the overall better option there. Yeah, you, you know, that makes sense. Uh, I saw yeah. my friend uh, Jackson the other day text me. He said, I think it's BS. Steph played way less games than Dame. And I was like, well, you know, he played 56 games. Dame played 58. So that is not yeah, an to. argument at all whatsoever. Uh-uh. Uh, and then... Looking at it, you know, I think I think uh, Jimmy Butler and Jalen Brown are the right picks, and then obviously Jokic. Uh, I think he's better than Embiid. I would mm-hmm. I would have him first team, but you know Embiid won the MVP, so he has to be there. Uh, you know, I think I think they got I think they, I think they got the first and second teams pretty much uh, pretty much correct. If not, you know maybe one or two adjustments, and that's you know that's rare. Usually people have yeah. so many snubs they're complaining about. I didn't really see a ton of that this year, so. Definitely respectable list, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, the next thing, uh, Damian Lillard takes to Twitter to respond to fans discussing trade rumors. If the fa- he, qu- he tweeted, he said, if the fans want to trade me, start the petition and send it in. And that is into, in response to a Blazers fan taking to Twitter and saying, you know, y'all, you guys are so undervaluing uh, the third pick. Why would they trade Dame? This is a chance to get another star by him, blah, blah, blah. And that fan was responding to fans saying, oh, they need to trade, like, uh, you know, Dame to get a really good, a bunch of really good young players and some picks, and then they can just restart and build a young team, you know, something like that, right? Uh, so Dame obviously responded to that fan, responding to the other fans, if the fans want to trade me, start the petition and send it in. You know, Dame is, you know, kind of keys himself, uh, you know, self, his self uh, explanation is he's like, you know, one of the most loyal players in the NBA. Uh, people also agree with that, right? He's been the Blazers the entire time. He's been a superstar. He keeps signing contracts, even through the struggles, the ups and downs, all the unfortunate playoff losses, the high expectations. He stayed with the team. Uh, you know, obviously this, and after the end of the season, he said, you know, if there's not changes being made, then he's he thinks it's, you know, going to be time for him to explore other options. But he's never formally requested a trade, never, you know, forced his way out by playing bad or having a bad attitude. He stayed solid the entire time, and I think that's admirable. Uh, you know, do you think the Blazers will look to trade Dame, or do you think they're going to, you know, try and take this pick? We talked about the draft lottery a little bit last episode, but, you know, I'm curious to see your thoughts on this. Right. I think this is going to be a decision that's not made on one side or the other. I think both sides, being Damian Lillard and the Blazers front office, are going to have to come together and just come to a, a decision. And whether that's a comfortable decision or uncomfortable decision, that that will kind of depend on you know where where Dame is at. I think I think as long as Dame is there, the Blazers will always tell him and do what they believe is going to put him in the best position to be successful, get to the playoffs, and ultimately win a championship. However, I don't I don't think that's going to happen even with that pick. I think personally, think it's time to move on, and I, I think it's getting to the point. I personally think that it's getting to the point where Dame wants out. And I honestly, I also think that's just the best way to go about it. I think it's time to move on and start a new era. All right. Yeah. New new era in Portland. That's fair. Uh, you know, looking at the Blazers roster, do you also think that it'd be time to, you know, try and move Nurk as well? So, like, get rid of both of the uh, old farts on the team? Yeah, especially Nurkic. I mean, yeah. if, if they were to go into a rebuilding thing like that, where they're, you know, they're moving Dame, obviously. Yeah. Someone like Nurkic serves no purpose on that team. Definitely move a dead contract. Like yeah, that. you know, I don't, I don't, I hate to be the guy that kind of just bashes people. You know, Nurkic averages 13 points, nine rebounds, shoots 51 from the field, 36 from three. Uh, don't let the stats fool you. This guy is a certified bum. Mm-hmm. Certified bum. 
He provides nothing facilitating-wise. He plays zero defense. He's not strong down low. If he was, he'd average 25 because the Blazers feed him in the post a lot. But this dude is a certified bum. Like, I'm so tired of seeing him in a Blazers jersey. I'm from Portland. I've been a Blazers fan my whole life. My Celtics are my number one, always will be. But, you know, I go to Blazers games. I go to as many as I can because it's NBA basketball, right? Uh, but I am so tired of seeing him in a jersey. If Dame is gone, Nurk needs to be gone too. Not only that, but he is eating up so much money for no reason. Yes. He does nothing. That contract is so fat. He's also fat, but he's just he's just holding all this money. It's It's frustrating. It's really frustrating as a as a you know a Blazers fan, right? So looking at this roster, uh, Drew Eubanks, Jeremy Grant right now he's a free agent obviously. Keon Johnson, Kevin Knox, Dame, Nasir Little, Skylar Mays, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, Cam Reddish, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, Matisse Thybul, Jabari Walker, Trenton Watford, and Jonathan Williams and Justice Winslow. So if I was to hypothetical, if I had a hypothetical, I'm getting rid of Dame and Nurkic. These are my guys that I'd want to keep on the team. Drew Eubanks, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant is going to eat up a lot of salary, so I would actually pass on him if we're going full rebuild. Keon Johnson, Nasir Little, Skylar Mays, Cam Reddish, Shaden Sharp, Ant, Matisse Thibel, Jabari Walker, Trenton Watford, and Justice Winslow. Those would be the guys I'd look to keep and build around. Specifically, obviously, the key two pieces being Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons. Um, but for Anthony to be a point guard, on this team, he needs to learn how to facilitate and not be, a, you know, like Michael Porter Jr., you know, never swing the rock, right? He needs right. to figure out a way how to kind of adopt that uh, that point guard role. That That's, that's I how I see it, yeah. I just have two two notes based off what you said there about the uh, the Blazers. One, I do got to come to defense for, for my man Nurkic. I agree nowadays he's a complete, a complete just terrible contract and all that. And just, but I will say... Before he got hurt and stuff like that, and these injuries piled up, he was a much better all-around player. I, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to make it sound like um, Nurkic was always just you know liability and just terrible player. Before he got hurt and his body broke down, he was definitely, he was definitely a uh, a pretty a pretty good all-around NBA center for sure. Uh, and also, I'm I'm excited to see what what the Blazers do with Cam Reddish. I felt bad. I felt like Atlanta didn't use him right. Goes to New York. I was like, oh good, maybe we'll get a chance there. Dibs pretty much just didn't care for him, wasn't in the rotation. So I'm excited to see what they do with him, honestly, whatever that may be, because I feel like he's been pretty much a DNP since he left Duke. Yeah, uh, you know, I think playing on a team like the Blazers with this rebuild it will be the perfect opportunity for Cam Reddish to shine. I mean, he had a decent end to the year last year, finished the season averaging 9.7 points a game, two rebounds, one and a half assists, 44.6% from field and 31 from 385 from the line so obviously you know the assist isn't there the rebounds aren't there i think they will be there i think that he'll uh he'll get to that point but uh you know he needs to figure okay why is there not playing uh there he need there needs to be something where he figures out how to consistently score the ball right because when mm -hmm. he first got to the blazers uh you know 13 points 25 points 16 points 13 points 10 points 14 11 consistently double digits and then all of a sudden it goes two points ten points zero points eleven points four points four points eleven points right so down that stretch he really struggled to find consistency um and you know that's the next step for younger guys a lot of the time is finding consistency or figuring out how to stay consistently you know affecting the game right 
when you're not scoring, how do you affect the game? That was Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's biggest problem when they were younger, right? Uh, you know, when they were erupting into these stars scoring the basketball, uh, you know, fit, uh, affecting the game in other ways was difficult. Uh, you know, Tatum didn't wasn't really good facilitating, didn't really play defense. And then, you know, when Joe was, or when Ime Udoka really took over, he made sure that they knew that they have to do these things, right? And then the Celtics were by far the best defensive team in the NBA last year. Uh, so, right. you know, and I don't think Chauncey Billups is a very good coach. I'd like to see him gone as well. Uh, you know, no defensive emphasis whatsoever, it seems like. But, you know, he'll have a young roster to work with. And I think that they'll compete. And I think it'll be a fun team to watch if they get rid of Damon Nurkic and they take that third pick. That's the other thing we have to remember. If they get rid of Damon Nurkic, they're getting a hefty return, right? They're getting a big return on those two guys. Uh, you know, some teams might think that Nurk is worth a first-round pick. Uh, you know, Dame is worth basically whatever you could get for one of the best superstars in the NBA at this point. He's in his prime years, and he still has plenty of time, right? He still has plenty of time to affect a very good team, uh, you know, win rings with a competitive team. So they're getting a hefty return, whether that's first-round picks this year, uh, you know, young guys now. Uh, they have a chance to have a competitive roster even after they get rid of those guys, I think. Uh, and obviously, some adjustments need to be made. Chauncey Billups needs to instill some sort of defensive emphasis. And Anthony Simons needs to, you know, make a point to become a point guard. But, you know, just looking at the roster, if they get rid of those guys, I think that they'll uh, they'll be okay. Do you agree with that? Oh, no, yeah, 100%. Yep. Okay, uh, so now to the newer series we have here. Uh, we're going to start doing our top 10 list at each position with some honorable, honorable mentions for each position. So, Luke, uh, you know, what I was thinking we'll do is we'll go, we'll each name our 10, then, you know, discuss why we have them at their position, you know, talk about their stats, etc. And then we'll just move on, right? I, I go 10, you go 10, uh, I go 9, you go 9, you know, something like that. Okay. Yeah, so at my, so first the honorable mentions for me. I have three guys here. Uh, Robert Williams III from the Boston Celtics, uh, Miles Turner from the Indiana Pacers, and Alperin Sengun from the Houston Rockets. Mm. Those are my three honorable mentions. Okay. Um, I, I'm very happy to hear that you had Robert Williams there because when I was making this list, he's all he's the first honorable mention I had. I was like, I wonder if Eli's going to have him there because I know you're a Boston guy, so I was worried. But yes, he's my first honorable mention. Um, I have Jared Allen in my honorable mention. Not comfortable putting him there because he's probably my favorite center in the league. Wendell Carter Jr. This one might surprise Ooh, people. Wow, Rudy Wendell Gobert. Carter Jr. Wow, okay, okay. I'm a, I'm a huge Wendell Big fan. on Wendell, yeah. I mean, he's a Duke guy, so I love him, but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I loved what he did. People didn't really talk about him much, you know, kind of shadowed by um by Pancaro, who's awesome. I love him too. Yeah, and also, but you know, no part, part of it is definitely just that the Magic suck. Yeah, no, they suck. A terrible market team. Um, they're young the though. They're young. They, they could be good. They could be good. Oh yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely excited for the future. Um, Rudy Gobert, like I said, okay. might be an unpopular right. opinion to many. Yeah, yeah. And this one, just one more. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, obviously a great big man, but I I see the decline. I'll leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, there was a there was a time where when he was a free agent, my dad and I really wanted the Celtics to pick him up, and that time has uh, has passed, unfortunately. But yeah, okay. So at my number ten, uh, actually one of your honorable mentions, I have Jared Allen. Mm. He averaged fourteen points a game, almost ten rebounds. Uh, you know, always always get into one and a half blocks a game. 
64 64% from the field, 73 from the foul line. You know, one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, one of the most athletic bigs in the NBA. And he's, again, a guy similar to Robert Williams, where he might be a better perimeter defender than Donovan Mitchell and uh, Darius Garland. So when you switch on the screens, you're not uh, you're not losing your mind or you're not losing hope, right? Uh, so, you know, also Cavs, obviously 51-31, disappointing playoff, playoff uh, ending, but... You know, they were a very good team this year. And, uh, you, know, you know, big thanks to Jared Allen. So that's why he takes the uh, 10 slot for me. Okay. Um, my number 10. This guy is very familiar with your number 10. Played under him for a few seasons. I have Nicholas Claxton, number 10. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the best all-around defensive big men in the league. Can switch on anyone comfortably from 1 to 5. Right. Um, at least in terms of big men. A great pick-and-roll player. We really saw him explode on the pick and roll with James Harden. And now, um, fast forward today, we see it still now with uh, the McCall era. Just great. I would love to see him get um, get more of an offensive game from outside the paint. And when he does that, I think that will push him up the ranks. But for now, I'm going to put him at 10 and be happy with it. You know, that's fair. Uh, having him top 10 is fair. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. He may or may not be uh, higher on my list than 10. But uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so my number nine, uh, I don't know that you'll be expecting this. I don't know that he made your list, but I have uh, Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, averaged 23.2 points per game. So, you know, obviously he's always he's always been a scorer, right? That's kind of what you oh, yeah. buy into. Uh, he averaged eight and a half rebounds per game. He averaged one and a half blocks per game. So he was a very good rim protector. Shot 48 from the field, uh, from the field and 38 and a half from three, as well as, uh, I believe, yeah, 85% from the foul line. Uh, you know, hmm. that's a very impressive season. Obviously, Washington went 35 and 47. They were not a very good team. But, you know, Chris Stapps had a very good year, and I'm happy for him because he struggled in Dallas. You know, he went from New York to Dallas, struggled, and then he went to Washington, and he's had two pretty good years. Uh, you know, obviously, Wizards weren't very good, but he was very good this year. Uh, you also have to remember, you know, as a big, you might say 49% from the field. That's not great. Most of his stuff is jumpers. Almost, almost 100% of his stuff is either mid-range fadeaways, you know, mid-range catch and shoot, or three-pointers. So, you know, 49%, very efficient, very efficient. 49 and 38, very efficient year for Chris Tapps. And he's, he takes the uh, number nine spot on my list. Nice. Um, this is the fun part about us not to, like discussing and uh, knowing our rankings at all before this. I definitely was looking at Chris Tapps, but I came to the decision that I looked more of him as a power forward. I will say, though, okay, however... that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. If I perceived him to be a center, he probably would be on this list. Right. Um, did get to see him this year, actually, um, at Barclays Center. They played... Oh, yeah. Was it in March? I forget, but it was, it, it was like the day after Kyrie requested a trade, and he dropped, like, I think it was like 48 points. He was going crazy. I, I, such a fun player to watch. Great, amazing player. Um, but for me, for number nine, um, I think some people might have this guy higher. I have DeAndre Ayton at number nine. Okay, yeah. One, I, one second, one second, real quick. Do you have Anthony Davis on this list as a center, or do you have him at a power forward? I have him as a center. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same page there. All right, perfect. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, honestly, I I know he likes playing power forward, but we've been seeing him play center yeah, he's recently. Yeah, center like, his entire. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Okay, so the only thing that really sets Ayton back is himself. His skill set is amazing. Sorry, this I, is is this number nine or eight? This is this is number, number nine. nine okay, interesting. Number nine. Yep. Number nine. All right. Um, he's he's a, a wonderful big man. Like <laughs> I said. He has he has all the skills to be to be an elite 
big man to be up there in the conversation, right behind like Jokic and B and all that. Yeah. I forget what year he was drafted. I say like 2019 sounds about right, but he was my favorite player coming out of that draft. Um, I still love him, but he just needs to take that extra step where he just becomes assertive and just lays it all out in the line. You know, uh, there's times where he just he looks scared and hesitant under the rim, like defensively and uh, even offensively at times. He just doesn't get himself involved. And if he takes that step, he might move up. But for now. I'm going to keep him cushioned back at nine. Yeah, you know, you know, looking at his stats, he averages, you know, 18 and 10, which is very good. But uh, realistically, he could be a 25 and 15 guy. Uh, he's huge, yep. he's athletic, and he puts no effort into his game. And that's part of why the Suns are not a very uh, consistent team. And it sucks because he's ultra talented and he's an insane athlete and he doesn't take advantage of it. You know, he doesn't even block shots. That's a defensive effort thing, right? He averages, he doesn't even average a single block a game. Like mm -hmm. there's no reason for that, but you know, don't don't want to bash on him too hard. But uh, I'd like to see him pick it up, and I think you know maybe when he finds a new home, that might be something that we uh, see from him. Uh, so at my number eight spot, I have a guy you really like. I have Nick Claxton at number eight. Uh, you know, average twelve and a half points a game, nine rebounds a game, two and a half blocks per game. You know, shot seventy mm -hmm. percent from the field, which is a little bit of a sham, right? Because most of his stuff is either dunks or alley oops. Uh, yeah. The one issue, which you know I'm going to say, is foul line. He shoots 54% from free, from the free throw line, which is horrendous. That is DeAndre, or, or sorry, Andre Drummond-like. DeAndre Jordan-like. That's bad. Uh, you know, but outside of that, he's arguably the most versatile big man defender outside of, you know, maybe Bam Adebayo uh, in terms of defense. He's arguably the best rim protector in the league this year. Two and a half blocks a game is ridiculous. And, you know, he's an energizer bunny. He's young. He plays with energy. Uh, he's the perfect fit to surround, you know, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and Spencer Dinwiddie on that uh, Brooklyn Nets roster. And, you know, I think that the eight spot, you know, might be a little generous for him. But at the same time, I think that he earned it. He deserves it. So that's why he's there. Respect. Okay. Moving along here to number eight. I have the seven-foot version doppelganger of Travis Kelsey, Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> I've loved this guy. I've loved this guy for ever since I've gotten into watching the NBA. Um, great low post, just a great all-round offensive player. Has that jump shot, which really helps him um, stay modernized in the big men pool. Um, and and finds a way. I know we haven't been able to watch them all too much, unfortunately, but finds a way to not get in Zion Williamson's way down there in the paint. They both get their own, and um, with this ability to. The jump shots, I think that's a big man, and and get the rebounds and everything that he does. Just a fundamentally really good big man. I think that's a I think that's a big man that any contender would want. Yeah, you know, I've always been really high on Jonas Valanciunas as well. Uh, I say it to people all the time. I love Jonas Valanciunas. He didn't crack my top ten, and he didn't crack my honorable mention. But looking back on it, he absolutely should have been an honorable honorable mention. Um, Without him, the Pelicans aren't even close to a playoff playoff team, play-in team. Uh, you know, obviously with Zion out. Uh, yeah, he's just been one of the most consistent bigs for so many years, dating back to his Raptors years with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, right? He's consistent day in and day out. Uh, you know, he's not very, he can't switch on guards or anything like that, but, uh, and, uh, you know, he doesn't really block shots either. He doesn't even average a block a game. So defensively, he's lacking, which is part of why I didn't really think of him at all. Um, but, uh, you know. He's good, and I, I, you know, I don't disagree with his, him being in the top ten. I don't. I think that that's a fair, fair place to put him. 
Yeah, big, uh, big Jonas Valanciunas guy over here. All right, uh, number seven for me. Uh, you, I don't think this will come to a surprise to you. I have Brook Lopez. Uh, average wow. 16 points a game, six, six, uh, 6.7 rebounds, two and a half blocks a game, 53% from the field, and 37 from three. Uh, Brook was in the Depoy conversation the entire year. He was in the All-NBA conversation the entire year. He didn't obviously get at either of those. But, uh, you know, he averaged two and a half blocks per game. He's been one of the best uh, rim protectors in the league, actually. I think for, like, the last, like, six or seven years, he's been, like, one of the highest, like, dunk... He has, like, one of the highest, like, getting dunked on rates in the NBA. And it's because he challenges every shot. He challenges every shot. Uh, and that says a lot about a person, right? When you're able to get past your ego to just play defense and compete at mm -hmm. the highest level day in and day out. Uh, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing. And he shot 53% from the field with a lot of his shots being mid-range and three-pointers. And he shot 37% from the three-point line. So he's a reliable shooter and scorer. Uh, and he's the perfect the perfect fit for Giannis because he doesn't have to be in the paint, right? He can You're going to mm -hmm. stash him in the corner and he you know he'll make three out of his five three-pointers every game so it's like you don't really have to worry about him uh you know oh yeah he, he might you know again i think this one might be a little generous looking back on it him at seven but he had a phenomenal year there's no question about it uh you know one of the best rim protectors one of the best defenders in the nba uh so he took he took the number seven spot on my list for this year okay um i'll be honest i don't have him on my list at all anywhere but that's that's not due to like my um just like disregard for him. Love Brooke Lopez. I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan, obviously. He's one of my, him and Darren Williams are my first memories of watching NBA games getting beat up by the Heat in the playoffs back in 20, whatever it was. Um, love Brooke Lopez. And like you said, the perfect, like the, the perfect complimentary piece, big man um, around Giannis. You said throw him away in the corner on the perimeter, get out of Giannis's way. The inside out offense, amazing, amazing fit. Um, so, all credit to you on that pick. Uh, no disrespect whatsoever, even though I don't have him here. Um, number seven, this guy to me, I've said it to you many times and in many places before. I think this guy is the prototypical big man in today's league. Like if I could, if I could just make a, like build my big man from scratch, it'd be this guy right here. And that is Indiana Pacers, Miles Turner. Yeah. Love yep, this guy. Yep. 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 Amazing, yeah. amazing defense similar to Brooke Lopez, can space the floor like that. Um, efficient, plays high energy, plays all four quarters. I would love to see him play in some competitive games. I think they're on their way. I think they're on their way there now with uh, Halliburton there. Hopefully he can stay healthy next yeah. season. Would love to see him in the playoffs. Um, love that guy. Yeah. You know, there have been a lot of rumors surrounding Miles Turner and the Celtics for a while, every offseason it feels like. And he's probably the one center in the league that I'd just be like, oh yeah, you know what? I'd trade. I'd be like completely comfortable with a Robert Williams deal involving Miles Turner. And I think even now more than ever, it would make sense for them, right? Because he'd fit right into that role of elite rim protector on defense and a floor spacer on offense, which is what the Celtics want, right? If you can play mm -hmm. Robert Al Horford and Miles Turner together, that just you know it's basically the same thing on defense with Robert Williams, but better on offense for the Jays. Because they spread the floor completely, both of them. They don't have to be in the paint. Uh, you, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for you putting uh, Miles Turner at seven. I think that that's absolutely 
a fine placement for him. He's a very good center. He's still he's still only 27 years old. You know, he'll only get better. So, you know, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, this next one, I had a little bit of trouble putting because I, you know, I considered, you know, games played in my placements. But, you know, he's one of the most skilled centers in the league. He's just one of, also one of the uh, softest centers in the league. I have Carl uh, Anthony Towns here. Ooh. And number six, yeah. Uh, the only issue is he only played 30 games. But in those 30 games, he helped the Timberwolves win enough to get into the play-in. Actually, to get into the uh, first round. He averaged 20.8 points per game, 8 rebounds, uh, almost 5 assists on 49% from the field and 36 from 3. Uh, he also, you know, you know, he doesn't block shots, but in the playoffs, he averaged 1.5 blocks a game. So, mm. I will, uh, I'll take that. I'll take those blocks. Uh, you know, one of the best shooting big men, one of the more skilled perimeter big men in our league. Unfortunately, he has very little inside presence on defense or offense. But, you know, just just up here scoring the ball, I think that he deserved to be on the list. Um, you know, I'd happily replace him, uh, you know, if I was to remake this list just because he didn't play enough games. But, you know, I think that in general, I think that the number six center is a pretty decent spot for him. And, you know, again, you know, some people might have Rudy Gobert here still just because of his rim protection. But, uh, you know, obviously the Minnesota experiment did not work. So I have Cat at number six. Right. Okay. Um, so I respect it. He is one of the most offensively skilled big men that we've ever seen in the NBA. Um, I've always loved Cat, Jersey boy. I'm a Jersey boy. He's a Jersey boy. I think about high school, like less than an hour away from where I live. So definitely, I'm always rooting for Cat. Um, not one of my, not one of my, you know, favorite big man when it comes down to you know executing especially in big games he's come up short a lot um but i'm always rooting for him uh, another thing here i i probably would have had him on the list um but similar to Kristaps, i don't see him as a center specifically starting this year because they kind of slotted him at the power forward when rudy when him and rudy were both in the court um yet again though like i said if he had he just been the center and rudy wasn't there i probably would have ranked him as a center and he definitely would have fallen some run this list because he's definitely a great a great big man no, no disagreement there. Um, number six, I have um, one of the best post players in the game. I have Demontis Sabonis. Love this guy. Wow, that's six. Um, okay, okay, okay. Six. Yeah. Yep. So um, two former, uh, well, one current and one former uh, pacer back back to back right here for me, six, seven. Um, never never really liked the fit with him next to Miles Turner. So seeing him get that second chance to kind of just be that uh, lone big man down there in Sacramento. Um, kind of kind of proved me to be right. I mean, he excelled this year in that spot with the Sacramento. So, um, yeah, I think he's just one of the best offensive bigs. Um, it's just a perfect fit for Sacramento. Yeah, uh, um, I have to ask, did you have, did, did his playoff performance uh, affect this list at all, his placement at number six? Um, I, I, I try, I, definitely tried not to let the playoffs get into the mix because i mean like that's a thing like carl anthony towns is one of the best for example carl anthony towns is one of the best players in regular season especially from big men perspective i don't i don't want to hold anything for or against people to the best of my ability um but but yeah no, dude hoops he okay. hoops yeah you, you know I'm, I'm gonna rag on you a little bit i think that's i think that six is a little too low for him this season if i'm being completely honest with you but uh, 
I understand. I understand it, but I, I, he's 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 a little higher on my list. I think that's uh, pretty obvious at this point. But yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, at number five, I have Bam Adebayo. Uh, he could have been higher. Could have been higher. Uh, you know, I have I have uh, four guys ahead of him. Uh, obviously, averages twenty and a half points per game, nine rebounds a game on, you know, fifty four percent field goal percentage 80 percent from the foul line you know i don't really count his three-point percentage because he just doesn't shoot threes at all uh you know very few attempts and he averages nearly a block a game uh so you know the and you know the defensive versatility with bam is ridiculous right the heat are perfectly comfortable with him switching on to you know jason tatum jalen brown uh guards etc uh you know and he he shoots well from the foul line he shoots well from the field he shoots a lot of jumpers um and you know He's 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 just a really he's just a really good center. You know, he averages three and a half assists mm-hmm. a game, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the playmaking is there. Uh, the playmaking is very much there. Uh, there's not I don't think there's much of an explanation needed for why he's at you know this high or at number five on my list. He's one of the best centers in the league, one of the most athletic centers in the league, and uh, you know he's killing the Celtics right now. So I hate him, but uh, he's on he's at number five on my list. I. Nothing but respect. Um, you'll hear from me very soon. I'll, I'll tell you that on Bam Adebayo right. in my list. Yeah. Um, like you said, just a really good, complete all-round player. Like you said, uh, a lot of things. Uh, a lot of times, people don't actually see um, or uh, even bring up his playmaking ability. I mean, just last night, dude came one assist short of a triple double. Had nine assists last night. So um, that's the proof is in the pudding. That's in one of the biggest games of the year that he's played so far. So total respect for that one. Um, love that pick there. For me, uh, this is another guy that historically has been more of a power forward, but has played uh, a lot of center this year. And that is Pascal Siakam. Wow. Okay. Okay. I thought you were going to say Anthony Davis for a second, and I was going to no, flip no, 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 my no. lid, if I'm being honest with you. No, I was, no, 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 no. I would have no, no, ended no. the show. The show would have ended. show would have ended. But yeah. Okay. Okay. No. Yeah. Pascal, Pascal um, Siakam. Okay. Yeah. Pascal Siakam at five for me. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Um. I love this dude. I mean, this dude showed his potential back when, like, even um, when, like, when Ka- uh, Kawhi was there. And now he's gotten definitely a much bigger role and opportunity since he's departed. And um, he excelled this year. There were some shaky times. It might, have been, it might have been last season where we saw him kind of take a, a big dip in production. But uh, he rebounded, no pun intended. He rebounded this year and had a really good season. And I just think he's one of those guys that... Um, just kind of fits the mold of a of a modern day NBA big man and just plays his role really well on that team. And excited to see what what they could put around him hopefully this offseason. That team doesn't fall apart. Fingers crossed for Toronto. Yeah, you know, I love I love the pick, Pascal. Uh, but uh, you know, the only reason I consider him a power forward over center is because he played sixty out of his seventy one games this year as slotted at the power forward. Uh, and that's because <laughs> I believe it was like uh, Delano Banton, I think is his name, the guy they brought up from the G League. Or what, what, what's his name? What's it? I forget. It. I forget. It. I forget his name. It might. It might not be Delano Benton, but that dude they played that uh, you know quote unquote smaller lineup with. Uh, he was slotted at the five a lot. Yeah, Delano Benton. He's a point guard six seven, but they slotted him at the center mm-hmm. spot over Pascal Siakam in a lot of the games. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's why you know that's why he's not on the list. He'll be on my power forward list, of course. But uh, yeah, no, I I love I love the pick. I, you know, I, I don't I don't disagree that he's a uh, you know could be listed as a center. Uh, yeah, I mean he's an elite player. He's an elite player. That's there's all that that's that's all that's all it is. He's an elite player. 
at uh, so uh, at number four for me, obviously, you know, I think this one, I think you can guess who it is. It's Demonis Sabonis. Uh, you, you know, 19 points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists, 61 percent from the foul line or from the from the field, and 37 percent from three. Unbelievably successful year for Demonis. Uh, I, you know, I feel feel for him. He was battling an injury on his hand uh, in the playoffs, which I think might have slowed him down a little bit. You know, Kings, very young team, had to play the defending champs. The experience killed him. Dubs one and seven, obviously behind Steph Curry's ridiculous performance. But uh, you know, I I think that he was one of the best centers in the NBA this year. By like, and it's not, it's mm-hmm. obvious, right? He plays defense, he scores the ball, he rebounds, and he facilitates at an elite level, legitimately elite level. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, obviously not a comparison in terms of skill, but you know, Nick Collison way back in the day on the Oklahoma City Thunder, phenomenal facilitator. Andrew Bogut, great passer on the at Warriors teams that won those titles, right? And he's yep. up there with them. I think he's a better passer than them, which says a lot. And obviously, you know, he averaged 12 rebounds a game, 12 rebounds a game. So he's there on the boards. Uh, you, you know, for these top guys, there's not much of an explanation needed, I feel like. But uh, yeah, I have, him, I have him at number four on my list. Uh, phenomenal year. I just tip my hat to Demonis Sabonis for having such a great year. Sweet, yeah. Um, yeah, no, nothing. I have nothing but good things to say about Sabonis. Um, like I already brought him up before. Yeah, no, great, great player. Um, excited to see what he could do in the future in Sacramento. I think he has a great fit there with Fox and everyone there. Um, so yeah, no, no disagreement. Total respect there. I will say, speaking of Sabonis, just backtracking a little bit. Um, I meant to say before, I have him at six and I had Siakam at five. I wouldn't mind swapping those two. Th- th- that's to me, those are like that's like an interchangeable five six for me. So if you want to slide in Sabonis to yeah. five there for my list, all for it. Yeah. All four. Um, so for my number four, Miami Heat's Bam Adebayo, as you brought up before. Um, love him. Great defensively, like you said. Great defense, and especially recently. I know, I know it's playoffs, but it, it's still it's still worth using for analytics. I think. Um, he just has that. He just has that that perfect fit where he's a great great in transition offensively and defensively. Um, he puts himself on the line down there. I mean, there's some crazy, some crazy photos. I'm sure you remember that that photo of Bam uh, getting that. I think it was Tatum getting blocked in the bubble. Love that picture. Love that play. Like stuff like that. I just love. Um, and compliments Jimmy. Like he just. I love big men that don't get in the way of the rest of the team, but still get their own. You know, get their numbers, and that he's perfect mold for that. Love Bam out of bio four. Yeah, you know, I I don't uh, I you know. I think he's a little high, but, you know, also you put Pascal Siakam on the list, so that affects the list, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm high on Bam's skill. I don't like him because he's on the Heat, and I hate the Miami Heat. But uh, there's no doubt that he's an incredible player, and I don't, I, you know, I don't think that it, putting him there is uh, is wrong. So, at my number three, I think I think our probably next three, overly, will be the same. I have Anthony, okay. I have Anthony Davis at number three. Averages 26 points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, uh, you know, two and a half assists, which, you, you know, you don't, you, you buy in for the offense and the defense, not necessarily his yeah. facilitating uh, capabilities. Um, and, you know, he averages two blocks a game as well. So he's an elite rim protector. He's an elite defender in general. Um, but, uh, yeah, 20, you know, 26 points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, a few assists, 56% from the field. Did not shoot great from the three-point line uh, this year. 25% uh, in the postseason. He's actually shooting 33, so that's up. And his 
Free throw percentage is also up in the postseason, averaging uh, 85.6 from the foul line. Uh, you know, at a time, he was probably the best center in the league. Uh, you know, injuries have really mm-hmm. derailed his, uh, his you know, status on these lists, I feel like. But, you know, even through that, he's still an elite player in the, in the league. He's one of the best centers in the NBA, one of the best defenders in the NBA. Uh, there's no question he should be, you know, number three or, you know, number two or wherever you want to put him. But he's that high on everybody's lists. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's no there's no explanation needed for Anthony Davis. Definitely not. Definitely just he. He's just a complete package from a just like a, a scope perspective for big men. Um, he said he could do it all. Um, or what I mean, outside of playmaking, not the best playmaker, but you said that's not what you, you buy him for. So what you, for what you buy him for, he could do it all. Gets buckets, plays amazing defense. Um, the only thing, really the only major factor that kind of separates him from being in the, the top two, cause he's my number three, um, is his availability. Cause to me, I live, I live by the saying the best ability is availability. He just, he has that issue where staying on the floor just kind of prevents him from being in that top two conversation still um because i think the skill set and stuff in his production is right up there with the top two but obviously if you're not playing doesn't mean anything you could be the worst center or the best center if you're not on the court means the same yeah 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 i'm glad i'm glad we have them at the same spots uh, you know, these next two actually might be interesting because, you know, there's the, uh, obviously, the two guys left, the two big names are Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. Everybody knows that. Everybody listening will know that. Um, and, you know, we have the MVP versus, you know, the runner-up. And at number two, I have the MVP. I have Joel Embiid there. Uh, I averaged 33 points a game, 10 rebounds, uh, 4 assists, 54% from the field, 33 from the three-point line. Again, no explanation needed. He won the Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, you know, choked in the playoffs once again. Uh, but you know, he, he had an, un- it's a regular season award, right? He averaged 33 points a game, 10 rebounds. Uh, you know, there's no getting around it that he's either one or two on this list. And he's also a very good rim protector, right? As soon as he came back in that Boston series, you could see the difference at the basket when he was in the game, right? If people mm-hmm. are scared. He's blocking shots. He's grabbing every rebound. Shots are going way higher than they should. All this stuff, you know, uh, if you want to put him at one, that's perfectly fine for me. I have him at two. Number two. And that is exactly where I have Mr. Embiid as well. Obviously, MVP this year. Um, not my MVP, but like you said, the league's MVP. Um, that's fine. It's He had an amazing year. But um, yeah, I mean, he does it all. He's been leading that, that Philly team for so many years now at this point through all the thick thick and thin the good the bad i mean there's probably not a more dominant player right now um in the post i mean he just gets it done no one can hold him that's always my biggest threat i'm always at every trade deadline when the nets were actually competitive before this this kind of uh retooling arrow is always like we need to just get a body please get a body which is why i've always uh, talked about like Valanciunas just because even though he's not the best defensive guy he's a, he could physically hold Embiid pretty well because he's just so much to handle and um, that can't be understated he's he's amazing um, so I'm, I'm definitely happy for him to finally get that first MVP not my pick but I mean nothing but respect for him that's why I got him at number two yep I'm you know I'm glad to agree and obviously you know both of our number ones uh, you know it's, it's gonna be Nicky it's gonna be uh, Jokic uh, yeah I mean 
he is just the most talented center we've ever seen in the NBA, the history of the NBA. I do not care what anybody says. He's the most offensively talented center ever, and it's not close. 24.5 points a game, 11, almost 12 rebounds a game, almost 10 assists a game, 63% field goal percentage, and 38 from the foul line. The versatility offensively is unreal. He is so much fun to watch on the basketball court. You know, he's slow. He's a little chunky. You know, his conditioning is always a question, but he always shows up and he always performs. Uh, you know, the, again, there's not really an explanation needed, right? He's the most talented center in the NBA by far. The, he, he's the best offensive center we might ever see in the game. Like, it, it's, mm -hmm. uh, there might not ever be another center like him. So, you know, we have to appreciate what we're seeing now. Yeah, like you said, um, his talent and numbers speak for themselves. I mean, Denver, easily one of the best teams this year. No no, uh, no question about it. Definitely the most consistent uh, and best overall Western Conference, uh, Western Conference team all year. And that is largely due to Nicole Jokic's play. Um, and we've seen him even years before where the roster was depleted due to injuries and stuff like that. They still were always great and competitive. And uh, this year, they finally, um, in favor of, of Denver, they've had a really good, healthy season overall. And um, we've seen the best of them, I think, honestly. It's crazy to think they didn't win the MVP in what I think was his uh, best year. But that's okay. Um, still has two on his belt. He has three in my head, and that's all right. Um, best player in the league, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, I have him I have him at number two for me in the best player in the league. Honestly, I think that Giannis has been the best player in the league for multiple years at this point. But uh, you know, at least at least the most dominant. I'll say most dominant. Uh but I, I also think he's the best player in the league. But you know, if somebody says Jokic, I'm not gonna be like, What are you talking about, you idiot? Right? It's it's just it's it's hard when it gets to that, you know, like top three to really, really choose yeah. one. I've settled on Giannis because I've had to deal with Giannis in the Eastern Conference for way too long. But uh, you know, I, I think I think both of our lists were pretty good. I think that I think I I respect your picks. I think you respect my picks. I think that we're gonna agree. I think we're gonna see really similarities, in you know specifically the top spots and basically every single one of our lists. Oh yeah, that's just how it is. I mean, yeah, top heavy. Yeah. All right, this was a little bit of a longer episode. Uh, you know, gonna run past an hour and ten. Uh, but you know, we covered a lot. I think we went pretty deep into a bunch of stuff, and it was a lot of fun. And I think that's gonna do it for this episode. Yeah, sounds good, man. That's all we got. Yep. Uh, it was a good time. All right. We will see you guys on Monday. <laughs> see you guys Monday. Monday, yeah. yeah. Monday. That's some good games. Game three yeah, to talk absolutely. about. Let's go. All right, guys. Have a good rest of your day.